You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us today in studio is Kaysen Short, the owner and operator of Bill Byers Hunter Club. Kaysen, welcome to the DU Podcast. And the first thing that I want to do is go ahead and let you introduce yourself to our audience. You know, who you are, what your background is, and then we can get into some general conversations about the property and you and some of the cool things that you guys are doing over there. Kaysen Short here, uh, and I grew up around a commercial duck hunting operation. Uh, my grandfather founded it in the 50s. So as far back as I can remember, I've been around duck hunting. You know, a lot of people have that story of their their first hunt or their first memory, and I don't really remember life when I wasn't around duck hunting. <laughs> uh, so I've been around it forever. Actually, went to Mississippi State, studied construction management. I was going to do something different than what I'm doing now, but uh, finished school and went right back to it and doing what I love. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, the whole reason why I came up with this podcast is the story behind, you know, your family's property there and and when your grandfather started that i came out and hunted with you last year it was my first time being over there it was awesome you know lodge property it was so cool but kind of share with our audience like the commercial duck operation that your grandfather started is so unique especially for arkansas way back in the day um but the story before that before he gets into that i thought it was cool you have like all the chainsaws 
on the wall in your lodge. I mean, these old chainsaws. So kind of, what what is that kind of signifying, these cool chainsaws? You remember, I can't remember the year. Mike would be able to tell us probably for mm-hmm. sure. But I think like 60, 1962, we went to a two-duck, 20-day season. It was early 60s, which, you know, in Green Timber, Arkansas, is basically one duck. So it really kind of put a halt to the commercial operation of duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my grandfather always had plans of farming, but that really catapulted the effort to, to clear everything and get into ag production. And that kind of drove that towards that. Um, now, I grew up, uh, again, around those old chainsaws, mm-hmm. and my, my father and grandfather working with them. Um, they both passed away in less than a, a year time span of each other. So kind of in their absence, you know, picked up some stuff and, and started kind of going through their belongings and then started collecting. Um, so I have a little chain, obviously chainsaw collection mm-hmm. there that we've decorated the house with, but that's, uh, that's interesting that you mentioned that that's like our number one asked question when someone comes to a really? lodge, like what's the deal with the chainsaws? Uh, so much so that one of our logos is a chainsaw yeah. and our head guide's like, man, people are going to think we're loggers. I'm like, no, no. If you've been there, you were at one it. point in time. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, yeah, that's right. yep. you know, it's, that's, it is like, I'm, I'm not surprised that people ask about it. Cause that's yeah. one of the first things I remember when I think about that place. And it's really cool the way the lodge is set up. The, the original kind of house lodge is built into or around kind of the new place. That's right. Yep. So the original building, um, it is, it's been added on to more times than I can count. Every time we open up a wall, we found where it's been tied into or a window's <laughs> been framed over. It's, it's crazy. And it's been moved. So it used to sit down there on the highway now, mm-hmm. uh, moved up to where it is now. Um, it's the original portion of a small building there. And believe it or not, it used to run 100 people a day through that building, charged $10 a head to go hunt in 1955. Wow. And that's, and that's what's the cool aspect of it because, I mean, it was a commercial operation, but it wasn't it wasn't something that it was an elitist deal. That's what I thought it was. So it was like one of the first just blue collar mm-hmm. dudes walked up, gave their money and went out and were able to hunt that day. It was a daily, it wasn't a draw. It wasn't, people just showed up. That's right. so cool. I mean, what made him decide to do that? Or- so I think uh, my family settled when they moved to Arkansas, they settled in Lodge's Corner, um, which as my grandfather grew up, most of that land had been bought up and it was a little bit older community, older money there. So, he had to move away to be able to find something he could afford and get his hands on. So he landed there in Hunter. So I think he knew that he wanted to have a place of his own, a place for him and his friends. Uh, it was kind of his goal. But as he told me, you know, some of that stuff, he just paid the back taxes on to buy the land. But he never thought he could pay for it all. So the commercial aspect of it kind of paid for that, subsidized the land. But it was always really more about friendship and relationships than just massive scale, you know, commercial operation. Yeah. And he's farming that the whole time too, right? Well, it was all, so when he first bought it, it was all timber. All timber. That's right. And so then he kind of transitioned into that, right? you know, still having hunters show up, but also farming at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of them over the time, uh, you know, they'd show up as a a guest or a paying client. And then over the years would evolve into guiding for him, you know, as people, it's kind of a young man's game as we all know. So as people would get older and stop, you know, he had someone that had been hunting there for years that knew how to do it and they would step up and start guiding. That's cool. So you pay 10 bucks, you get a guided hunt out of it. You walk out into the timber, right? Somebody's calling for you. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool in the fifties. Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. It's a very unique story. Um, And I guess, I guess it's so unique in the sense for me, because looking at it, you know, these large scale operations now are so much, you know, it's, it's very, very different and how, you know, different outfitters throughout the country. And you look at that. And like I said, it literally was like guy off the street walks in 
and it was just opportunity really kind of opened the door for opportunities possibly even for people who didn't get the chance to go to some other big club or whatever you know right. it's pretty cool yeah and so we struggle with that a little bit you know you go look uh at some of these new places, you know, they have this massive million dollar lodges and mm-hmm. they're, they're amazing, you know, and, and at times maybe covetous of that, but I wouldn't want to give up the history and everything that we yeah. have in ours, you know, our miniature museum, if you will, and, and just how long we've been there and all the stuff that's happened inside of that building. I think that's really unique to us and there's a lot of value for us in that. And you guys are doing some just cool other things on the property. So I kind of wanted to talk to you about, you know, you're really, really hands-on involved with some of the uh, collar, some of the telemetry Mm -hmm. studies that they're doing. And if anyone follows you on Instagram, what's your Instagram handle again? Uh, Bill Byers Hunter Club. Bill Byers Hunter Club. And it pops up as Case and Short. Yeah. Okay. Just so that everyone knows what they're getting into there. Right. Uh, Really cool info. You post a lot of good pics. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, But... You know, just the the idea that you are so hands-on in conservation and, like, helping science and research. Uh, kind of explain how you got into that. That goes back a long way, too. Um, my grandfather really instilled upon me that it's a resource. And if it's not, you know, if we don't take care of it, it's not going to be there for the next generation. So I grew up with people that had that mindset. So it just started that way. His house was a few miles away from our farm. So we had a, a 40-acre fenced-in area that he raised deer. He also raised Canada geese long before resident Canada mm-hmm. geese were a thing. But he noticed one day that white fronts started coming in and landing when he would go out and feed his geese every morning. Circa 1991, he's got fifteen to 20,000 white fronts in his backyard every day. And people would stop off the highway. It was Highway 49. They're just north yeah. of Brinkley. So people are constantly in and out watching this really neat show of these birds. And we ran into a grad student one day who had spent, I don't know, he was there like three or four hours finally. Like, man, what do you what are you doing? Like, why have you been here this long? <laughs> You're creepy. Yeah, right? And uh, so he was reading that the alphanumeric codes off these neck bands and mm-hmm. we're sending them in. I was like, well, okay, well, we can do that. You know, we spent some time here watching them. So I'm 10, 11 years old and started doing that. And we did it over a number of years, um, sometimes reading over 100 different neck bands in a year. Got to know the uh, head biologist for the Canadian Wildlife Service that was involved in that study. Mm-hmm. We're submitting information that way through them. They gave us a whole bunch of information back, maps, and just for a 10-year-old kid, like it was really cool to see where Deep these birds dive. were coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, my, my nerdism goes back a long mm-hmm. way. So that's where I started with white fronts. I've always really been kind of just enamored with them as a species. Yeah. Probably because, I guess, kind of in my lifetime, I've seen their evolution. Yeah. You know, in, in the 90s, ten or 15,000 was a lot on our farm. Now, this year, we'll hold anywhere from 100 to 150,000 as early season opens. So, they've really, they've shifted a lot. They've adapted to hunting pressure and habitat changes probably quicker, I think, than any other species that we hunt. And that's that's funny you say that because my co-host, Dr. Mike and I, we actually have Dr. Javon Bank coming on next week to, actually, the following week to record a show just about some of the research that he's doing. And I know you're very aware of him and his studies and you're involved in that. You know, and, and now it's kind of come such full circle that now you're hosting these science teams out there on your property, are you not? Yes, yeah. So That's I, cool. That story yeah, continues. So we've got an opportunity. Um, uh, Paul Link out of Louisiana mm-hmm. was studying, you know, kind of why and how they had lost as many birds as they had in southwest Louisiana. Uh, saw him on Instagram, reached out to him, like, hey, you know, send him some videos. And I think at first when I told him the numbers we had, I don't, I don't think he really believed me. <laughs> Liar. Yeah. So I started sending <laughs> some videos. I'm like, you know, this is what it looks like in October. And I'm really curious, 
where do these birds go from here after they leave our property mm-hmm. and they scatter out when season goes, you know, when it opens, where are they going and where are they wintering? Um, so he he responded, he was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, luckily, we had a bunch of donors that got on board and paid for the units because that's the biggest yeah. barrier to entry, you know, almost $2,000 per unit for the data plan that goes yeah. with them. It's like a cell phone. and the actual strapping cost. on the back of a bird that just flies away. Right. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Coyote I mean, might be eating that thing. And it, well, it's amazing how many, I mean, we retrieve... I think the first year we retrieved like three that made, never made it more than five miles. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Are you are hunters or is it typically like predation or what's... I think a lot of the, those that are that nearby is avian predation. Yeah. Uh, I think that in the, you have some birds that don't acclimate to it. Now, yeah. I, I've never seen it, but he says, you know, he told us that there, there are some birds that just refuse to fly with it. You, yeah. you run in there and catch them, take it off and they'll fly right off. But yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that. And we had a past episode of the podcast where we had some different scientists and researchers mm-hmm. who were talking about the sizing and the variance and how yeah. it fits and like sometimes the birds get weird with it. Right. Um, but we'll definitely be talking to Dr. Von Bank about that here in yeah. a week or so. So that that's just it's just cool how you got you went on, you know, full circle to a ten year old reading some yeah. Some research paper probably to now hosting, you know, but these science teams. It was really it was really cool to be a part of that, to mm-hmm. get to do something like that. And we did some Mallard stuff too. Yeah, that's coming full circle. I think it's really cool. And then you get to to watch where they go and, and you really see when you do that, you really see what kind of part you're playing on the whole landscape. Yeah. Not just right there in your back door, but where those birds go, where they winter and where. I mean, we've had some that will return the second year. They'll come to Arkansas in October and then they'll bats bounce back to Indiana and get mm-hmm. shot in Indiana. So yeah. you never think about the habitat work that you're doing at your own place impacting someone several hundred miles away. But Easy now. Don't be talking about those white fronts in Indiana. <laughs> guys I you know, grew up hunting with are trying to keep that a secret. Right yeah, now. Well, it's, it's, it's not a very good secret. So you know, it's, it's alarming to me because we look at, at where Arkansas was and even in the 70s and 80s when people didn't know what a white front was. Yeah. Now you're you're seeing those numbers north of us, and oh yeah, what's going to happen in twenty years? As fast as like you kind of mentioned, as fast as these birds are changing mm-hmm. some of their behaviors, wintering behaviors anyway, what's going to happen in five? Right. You know that's the interesting thing, and that's cool that you're on the ground level of being able to you know be a part of that. But explain to our audience how you guys were catching those white fronts because I know you have a couple books in your some photos that you've you've taken a lot of images of yeah. but explain how those birds are caught so we catch them with a rocket net I've got some good videos I can show you yeah. after this but not something I can put on social media yeah. and for obvious reasons yeah. you know it's uh, it's really neat to watch but if if you're against that kind of thing then mm-hmm. you could raise some noise and be upset about it but it's it's pretty amazing uh, I guess classified as dynamite so you have to mm-hmm. have a permit to even carry the charges yep. um, it's loud you can hear it all the way across the farm and we're staged up, you know, yeah. with 15 people ready to go running in. You can hear it when it goes off. Oh, it's yeah. pretty cool. And but, just to clarify that, you know, this is not something that you are doing. Mm-hmm. This is something that permitted right. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is involved. You know, this is something that these scientists have permits to do. Yep. And you're gracious enough to open your doors to let them do it on your property. I just want right. to clarify oh, that because yeah. I don't want people to think you're out there with a rocket net back right. and white fronts. You know, it's like, okay, we just wanted to make sure that our audience knows what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. They won't even let me push the button. I've asked repeatedly. Yeah. But, yeah, I bet. Yeah. I would, I'd be the first thing I would ask. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, no, that's really cool. And, and we kind of alluded to it a little bit. And it's definitely evident on your social media 
Um, you know, you spend a lot of time with a camera in your hands. We even purchased some of your images for the magazine. I mean, yeah. I did that article in March, April, and I think John bought two or three photos for just my piece, that white front piece. But how did you get into that? And is that just something that goes along with it? Or is it like a real passion for you? And Yeah, it's, it's a passion. And I think it really, it dates back to some of the, the early duck hunting that we had at our farm. So um, back in the 50s, uh, I don't know if you know the name Henry Reynolds, but he was a sports writer here in Memphis became a good friend of my grandfather, hunted there a lot, and either brought a camera with him or brought a staff photographer from the appeal with him. So we've got stacks of black and white photos. And I guess as a kid, they were just so revered. Like, I mean, you just thought that was the neatest thing. And I still do. I love those images. We're so lucky to have them. But I think some of those early images is what kind of started me appreciating a still image and, yeah. and the memory that it could hold for you. So I've always always had an interest in photography and really with social media and marketing and everything else, mm -hmm. kind of stepped into it a lot harder in the last few years, but yeah. definitely enjoyed it. It's a passion of mine. Awesome. I'll, I'll, we'll get right back to that. We'll talk about social media here in a minute, but we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back talking with Case and Short. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're, conservationists. we're conservationists with the next, generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. All right, we're back here with Kaysen Short, the owner and operator of Bill Byers Hunter Club. Um, Kaysen, you know, before the break, we were kind of getting into, you know, the details of your photography, but then I wanted you kind of hinted towards social media. And I think that's one thing that really jumps out to me. Um, one, because I'm terrible with, I have to literally like set alarms to be like, hey, you should post on Instagram. You know, it's like, right. I, I won't even look at it, you know, for weeks on end. I'm like, oh gosh, I should probably post something. Um, but you're really good about kind of, you know, last week you had a post saying, hey, you know, specs, first specs just showed up, you know, and that was what, September 
21st, right around there, 22nd? 23rd. 23rd, okay. And so, like, that's that's early, but that, you know, even in our office, like, our photo editor, John Hoffman, pokes his head in my office. He's like, hey, did you see Case and just got the first specs? Like, oh, yeah, that's (laughs) cool. You know, so it's cool how you're doing that and you're sharing not only – you know, the the resource there, but also along with it, kind of your your family traditions and history. Um, why do you think that social media is so important for, for you and, and just for you to share your story? Well, I think it's it, it's important because it's a platform to reach a lot of people quickly. Um, and think about how much information we have at our fingertips now. And YouTube's a great example of social media. Um Man, when's the last time that you were working on something? And you're like, I don't know how to do this. Pull it up on YouTube and yeah. watch a video and be ready to go. So I think it's it's similar. You know, it's shorter format, obviously, and not video. Well, they're kind of pushing reels pretty hard now. But, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but I think social media is a really great way to uh, inform other people or, mm-hmm. or pay attention to things that you like, especially in the photography world. You know, follow guys that, that post great images and stuff that you want to see and you enjoy seeing. And Who then, are some people that you follow photography-wise that you kind of, emulate or you know just kind of see their stuff and like oh dude that's awesome oh man so i mean blake fisher is Mm -hmm. a friend of mine but a great photographer uh there's a bunch of others phil is it conky is that yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. i use a lot of his stuff um just say john hoffman will make john hoffman feel really good i do follow john hoffman i I was just kidding no he he has really good he has some good stuff that cover he shot was pretty sweet yeah 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 he does he awesome. does some good work i'm just messing with you about hoffman but no i mean i think that's cool and that's something that people can look at from you know your side and then you know just hearing that and you post a lot of pictures you know even of your kids out there and so to kind of explain the importance of we'll make that transition from you know you've talked about you and the resource and the you know the the property but now you're bringing which i think is an awesome aspect of the story now you're bringing your kids into this story and how fun is that it's a lot of fun um it's a lot of work too yeah. so if you're you know if you're one of those dads out there taking your kids and it's frustrating it's okay yep. it's, it's frustrating for all of us and that's maybe one of the downsides of social media you know you're just seeing everyone's highlights oh yeah, yeah. they but, didn't see when everything they dropped in the water and you're wet and you're going home before shooting time right <laughs> exactly <laughs> you didn't yeah. get to see any of that we don't, we don't photograph that <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah uh but no it's a lot of fun so i've got I've got three boys that are four, seven, and nine, and then I've got a little girl who's two. Obviously, she's not going with us yet, but the the four-year-old started tagging along last year when he was three. Uh, He went on a teal hunt with us the other day and had a good time, so it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I look at it how I grew up. I don't remember a time when I wasn't going. Yeah. Yeah. and I was talking to Andrew Jones at Yeti. Well, I was sitting in the parking lot before we came in. We we're talking. He's going deer hunting with his kids this weekend, his two boys. And we were talking about, you know, how how involved do you really want your kids to be? Like, are, yeah. you, are you pushing them to shoot? So, like my seven and nine year old. Okay, they shoot skeet, not super proficiently, but they can hit targets in the air. Mm-hmm. They're safe with guns. I still just give them one round at a time because yeah. I'm not ready for follow up shots. But some days they go out and they don't shoot. And then I'm like, man, I don't know. It's like, should I be pushing them harder to shoot? Should I be spending more time with them? Like, are yeah. they not comfortable? And then I think about it that, wait, they just went duck hunting and they had fun. So yeah, do I need here. to emphasize the kill or do I emphasize yeah. that we went hunting together and we had fun? And yeah. I think that's a really important thing. And Andrew agreed with me on that. Like, go have fun. That's what duck hunting is about. You yeah. know, if we if we educate people, if we teach our, our young that you have to kill to have a good duck hunt, that's not really true. I mean, some of my favorite memories are days when we probably didn't kill that many ducks, yeah. but 
Sorry, that's a little side note on kids. But. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I've got a nine and seven year old girls, yeah. and you know, I know guys who are, their kids are shooting at six and right. multiple shots, and I'm like, yeah, my my girl's not ready to do that. Yeah. You know, she's just not there yet. She right. one, I mean, she has an interest, but then she loses it, and it's like. She's just not quite there mm-hmm. to grasp at all. She wants to go. Right. She told me oh, we have a little duck camp over there in Arkansas. She told me that that we need to put in a playground. <laughs> you know, that was her only recommendation. I was like, yeah, okay. You know, right. <laughs> that's a that's on the table. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you know, it's it's different for every kid. Sure. And it and it's cool, but like even not just during hunting season, how important is that property for your family to get your kids out there? I mean, I think that's the cool aspect of it too. Oh yeah, it's I mean year round and. We talked about coaching sports earlier, mm-hmm. so you know that's that's a balance. Yeah. I spent a lot more time in the field than I did playing sports, and I think looking back, you know, like the outdoors will always be there. I've probably spent too much time doing that. That's yeah. all right; it worked out just fine. Yeah. But, uh, so that's a balance trying mm-hmm. to do that, but we spend as much time as we can over there. Um, man, we do all kinds of stuff. We've got a pretty nice little crappie and bass lake there, mm-hmm. uh, rifle range set up. So. Both of those uh, seven and nine year old, they're shooting six hundred yards, ringing steel. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, that's impressive. The four year old is shooting twenty two pretty proficiently. Yeah. So like we dabble. Yeah. We do a lot of stuff. No, yeah, absolutely. That sounds awesome. No, it's just cool that you know with just the generational aspect of it. You know, yeah. you see so many different operations either fade away or you know something right. changes or family gets mm-hmm. in the argument and things change but it's awesome to see how you've been able to manage to keep the property you know in in the resource and everything going and, and really how it's transitioning honestly into something that is benefiting north american waterfowl in a sense that now like i said you're doing the science and research part of it there so it's, it's pretty cool to hear it's it's awesome yeah well we're really i mean i'm really lucky to to have grown up in that place to have experienced it, to be able to share it with friends and, and get my kids. So I don't know. I think that's kind of our job as stewards. Like if, if we're not leaving it better than we found it, then then we need to hold ourselves more accountable. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And um, one thing I do want to ask you about, you are a, a proud shooter of the Browning A5 and yeah. some of the older ones. And if you walk into your camp, you've got, you know, A5s on the wall. So where did that history start? I started back in the fifties, you know, you go back and look at our black and whites and they're, they're everywhere in there. Um, they're just, there's a lot of iconic shotguns. You know, we've got mm-hmm. some model 12s in there. Um, uh, that's an interesting kind of side note on the, on the Browning Winchester family. Um, uh, I don't know what year it was, but my grandfather decided that he needed a, a dependable shotgun for all of his guides. So went out and bought them all model 12s. Cause that was at the yeah. time, you know, what he felt like was the most dependable thing going. Um, been around auto fives forever so i kind of came into two different sets of guns my grandfather's guns which were you know used workhorses mm-hmm. i mean just did a lot with them and then my father collected a5s or auto fives he was more into the unfired like pristine yeah in really, the box type gun. yeah really yeah. really pretty guns like kind of like y'all's collection mm-hmm. out here you know um yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, one of my favorites is a it's a 1958 Mag 12, which was the first year of the Mag 12. It's my grandfather's gun, and it's just it's kind of cool to go shoot a duck in the woods with that gun that's been there for 60 years. Yeah, um, he's got a, a well. I've got it. It's a I can't remember what year it is, but it is the first year of the Mag 20. So that's kind of a neat oh, little set. Cool. Those yeah. two. So do but, you shoot those on a regular basis? 
Yeah, I shoot the Mac 12 a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then 20 some too, but I don't know. Every time I take a 20 gauge, I miss and I blame it on the fact that it's a 20 gauge, yeah. not me. So yeah. it's just a mental hurdle. Yeah, yeah. You'll never get over that unless right. you start hitting stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bad one. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean that that's cool. You know, that's a cool legacy aspect of it with the Brownings. And one other thing I was gonna ask you about, when you go to your camp, one thing that jumps out out front, you got these massive trucks <laughs> where you bring people out to the field. It's the only place I've ever been where you load people in the back of a big truck. Yeah. And you guys drive out into the field. When did that start? Is that something that you kind of started or is, you, is that how it's always been? It's from, from my childhood to now. And what are those trucks? Uh, so we've got, I'm a big fan of what we call dent side forwards, which mm-hmm. was 73 to 79. Um, and I guess, so my dad had a, a 76 and then the 79 that's mine we had it forever. I think we bought it in like 83. So relatively new when we bought it. But um uh, I drove it when I was 16, worked on it, you know, for the entire summer to get it roadworthy, you know, oh, yeah. uh, had it forever. So it's just my passion for them just kind of stems from being around them. But that's over there in, in our country with rice ground the way it is, we have what we call a hard pan. So you've got a few inches of the topsoil and then you get down to hard clay. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, you've, you've seen them. It's like you've concrete them. on it. Yeah. yeah. It, they drive right out there. We pull it out to the pit, you step out, you're three steps, you're in it. Yeah. And the trucks, after you go the first time and you get your ruts cut, you can go into a drive the rest of the year. Yeah. So it's just an effective way of doing it. We've done it forever. We talk about kind of the history and and all the things, but one of the sights and sounds of duck season for me is those trucks yeah. idling in the parking lot. Oh, like I bet. Crank them in the morning. I'm seven years old again, standing there. That's cool. Yeah. Another thing that you guys did, and it's the first place I've ever been that did this, and I thought it was awesome. I was like, oh, well, I'm doing this at my place now. Like, no headlamps. You tell everyone, like, you know, you get wake up in the morning going duck hunting. Everyone, first thing you do is you dig out your headlamp, right? stuff like that. And you, you guys are just like, absolutely no headlamps. Why do you do that? So you notice we go out in the trucks, like we don't use headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, and if one of our newer trucks, that white one, we've even, we've got tape over the dash. There's tape on the clock. So we, we try to go out without using, and basically it's a function of not using our headlights. Um, the headlamps and everything else is secondary because it ruins whoever is driving that truck. It ruins their night vision and they can't see. Um, so I don't think headlamps are a big issue, but definitely headlights and these LED light bars. Man, if you've if you've been over there and seen some of our neighbors, you know, from miles away, you're seeing this light oh, and it yeah. gets up every bird that's on the roost between us and them yeah. is now in the air. So it's just a way of controlling pressure for us. Mm-hmm. We want to get, if we're going all the way across the farm or if we're going next to the lodge there, we want to disturb as few birds as possible on the way. And that comes from the kind of your philosophy is that pressure especially in Arkansas, I mean, pressure anywhere, but especially in that area where you're in, in Arkansas, like you said, you can look out and see headlamps, you know, from miles away. Um, Is that something, you know, that you guys have always just kind of, is that something you adopted from your father and grandfather, or is that something that, you know, you're like, hey, we got to, we got to keep the pressure as minimal? No, we've done it. We've done it for as long as I can remember. So 40 years now Mm -hmm. that we've done that. Um, And that's hard, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine that the pressure would have been that high 40 years ago, but it's just what we've always done our road has our excuse me our farm i'd be scared to count the miles of roads that we have there but during duck season we use kind of two roads in and out yep. you know as few as possible uh, our rest ponds 230 acres and we drive pad on on one end we we traverse less than an eighth a mile on yeah. one edge of it so we stay away from that as much as possible and that's the one controllable that we have we can't control the weather we can't control the rain cold fronts we can't control the bee pop or mm-hmm. any of that stuff but we can control pressure. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest 
tool in our toolbox. And and this is an interesting question. I asked someone else. I can't remember who it was. Uh, you mentioned BPOP. At your age, you know, you've probably never hunted in a restricted season. So how important is the BPOP numbers for you? Like when this came out, when we just, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service released it, we kind of did some things with the chart. We posted it up. Like how important is that information for you? Are you like kind of gearing up waiting to see that? Or is that something that it's not really, you know, you're aware of it, but it's not really kind of front of mind? I pay pretty close attention to it, Um, especially not having had it for two years. Like it was really, yeah. where where are we? You know, where is that benchmark? Um, But I, I think it's important. And I think there's... I don't know. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. I hear a lot of varying opinions on it, yeah. but I've, I've got some concerns about where we are numbers wise and where we may be going. Yeah, no, and I, I don't. You know, we don't necessarily need to break it down. We got Mike Brazier to do that. He'll yeah, break it down. I, I'm not the guy. For He'll that. do it for six different episodes. He's already done it. But you know, it's just always interesting to me. Like I have buddies in Indiana, and I'm like, hey, did you see the numbers? And like, nah, I yeah. didn't even look. You know what I mean? <laughs> Guys I hunt with in Arkansas, they're like, no. Yeah. You know, like it's just not something. But they're all either my age or younger too. Right. Where that's never really played a role mm-hmm. in their season, it's you know it, it could potentially, yeah. But it's like they're just not into it. So it's it's an I always like to ask people because we put so much emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to just get another opinion on that. So yeah, so some of that, I guess, my interest in it could be, or maybe some of my reservations about where we're at could be that I remember the point system. Mm-hmm. I remember lead shot. I remember when we had hot counties. So mm-hmm. like our farms in two different counties, depending on where you hunted, one day you could use lead shot, the next morning you couldn't. Yeah. Um, so I remember those kind of wild, the wild west, you know, that we had of season dates and the way we changed things. Yeah. And now we've bumped along here, what, 24 years? I think more than that. Maybe more than that now. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. And so like my internal clock is going, we need to change something just to change it, yeah. you know, <laughs> because we it changed seemed like annually we yeah. were changing things back then. Yeah, so. and that makes sense. I said you probably weren't old enough, but you probably were hunting a lot younger than I did. So you, well, probably, was, you probably had about a seven, eight, ten-year jump on me. But it was least around it to remember, yeah. you know, whether oh, yeah. I was carrying a gun or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's cool. You know, is there anything else that you kind of, you know, would like to share, you know, about Bill Byers Hunter Club uh, with our audience that, you know, whether it's from the science and research aspect, from, hey, check us out on Instagram because it's just cool stuff, whatever. I mean, anything that pops in your mind? I, I love interacting with people on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you like what we're doing, if, you, if you're interested more, you know, shoot us a message, comment, you know, that's a, a great way. Social media is a great platform to, to talk to people and, and stuff like that. And I struggle a lot with what should I be posting? You know, like what, and that's, not don't want to get into the downsides of social media, yeah. but in a lot of ways, there's some stuff out there that maybe doesn't paint duck hunting in the best light, yeah. um, or maybe maybe puts emphasis on the wrong parts of duck hunting. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, we'd love to hear from people and, and find out, you know, what they want to see and, and see more of, because we do stuff. We do stuff that's boring to me in the summertime. And I'll post something about it, <laughs> oh, and people man. are like, "Oh, people, that's awesome!" Like, I mean, yeah. I can show more of that. Like that doesn't yeah. even yeah. any of the farming slash habitat slash you know, even just putting water on fields. Yeah, you know that. And to be honest, like I'm the same way with that with like cornfields. Right. Where I'm just like whatever. Like I grew up around mm-hmm. cornfields as far as you could go, uh, but I came down here and it's like oh rice like. Well, what, why are they putting water? Like, right. how are they moving the water off? You know, what? and so like, even for me, you know, even I've, I've lived here for 15 years, but it's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see where people's interest, if you're in a completely different region, or even if you're in Arkansas and not necessarily farming every day, there's definitely an interest in that habitat stuff for sure. Yeah. And it's just stuff you, you take for granted. Like a, another 
good example is uh, eagles. You know, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll have 20 plus on the farm all year when the migration gets here. We've got two that live there year round. We hunted right there next yeah. to them. Oh, yeah. Um, totally take that for granted. And then we'll go out there in the spring. The kids will bring, you know, one of their friends over and they're like, oh my gosh, there's an eagle. I'm like, oh yeah, you want to go see the nest? Like, yeah. You know, I mean, you just forget it. I forget about stuff like that yeah. a lot. How cool it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lucky, awesome. lucky to have stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, Casey, this has been great. I appreciate you coming in and joining us. Anytime, once we start ramping up some more of this science and research stuff, especially once we, you know, maybe we could get you in here with some of the people that you're doing the research with, that'd be a cool conversation. But uh, I do appreciate you joining us and hope we can get you back on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Come back anytime. I'd like to thank my guest, Cason Short, the owner of Bill Byers Hunter Club, for joining us today and just talking about not only property, but the resource, the kids, Instagram, everything all across the board. It was a great conversation. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for doing a great job of putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting Wetlands Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.